0: We get to worship God in a place like this because he has given us the freedom to do so. So thankful for that. By the way, my name is Sheldon Loxina. I'm the senior pastor of this church. I've been gone for about three weeks in case you didn't notice, which if you didn't, thank you. That's great. Because we're not here for me. We're here for Jesus. That's why I'm so thankful for Pastor Marsha, Pastor Ben, Bunny spoke. Who else? Uh, pastor Lynn spoke. So thank you to them. Uh, For speaking and bringing us the word of God. Because the word of God is why we're here. It's precious to us. Uh, We're here to glorify God. We're here to glorify our Lord and Savior. So thank you for being a church that always remembers our single focus. And that is Jesus. That's why we have our summer camps coming up. We have our, actually we have our camp right now happening. Our sports camp. And some of your children are part of the sports camp. Uh, we also have our youth camps coming up, our district camps, Legacy and Defined. So that's our junior high and high school camps that are coming up. Uh, there are so many things that are happening that you're a part of. And some of you might think, but I don't, I don't serve. I'm not a part of it. I don't, you know, I don't have the time or my schedule doesn't allow me to serve. But, but here's what happens when you become a part of the body of Christ. That when you include your gift, your talents, your spirit, your prayers, Your giving. All of that goes towards people coming to find Jesus as Lord and Savior. When we get to heaven, we're going to see the big part we all played, even though here it may seem so minuscule. And you might think, I want to do so much more. Or I want to serve. I want to I want to be a part of the giving. How do I do that? Well, this Sunday we're kicking off a new series, Discover New Hope, which is our membership course. It's a way for us to see the heart and vision of our church. So if you're new or you've never gone through Discovering New Hope, this Sunday we're going to do a four-week series that will help us to see the heart and vision of New Hope. And you might have gone through it already, which is great. We try to do this twice a year. It refreshes us. It gives us, once again, the vision of our church. And it helps us to understand why we do what we do. Because everything that we do is connected to a soul. And you're here tonight because you want to learn about Jesus Christ. You want to learn about your life in God. You want to see your purpose. And that's why we're here. We really want to see what Jesus has in store for us. That's why we give. That's why we participate. And you're here as his disciple. Did you know that you are his greatest disciple? The one who wants to learn. Jesus died for you and I so that we could have a life that he promised for us. And when we give to him... We get to be a part of the bigger picture of more people coming to know him as Lord and Savior. You've already been doing a great job. I've been uh, watching the news and what's happening here in, on our island with the lava. And it's amazing. Well, let me just brief you real quick. Do I have some time? Maybe two minutes? Okay. Pastor like, like Take whatever. Uh, and she's going to be speaking uh, for us tonight. But uh, while I was traveling, we got to watch the news and what was happening here. And I was keeping in touch with, of course, our staff team. Uh, but Heidi and I went to our Foursquare convention, which happens once a year. And this time it was in Seattle. So we got to spend maybe about a, maybe about a week there. And we got to get refreshed, see the heart and vision of our denomination, uh, see the wonderful things that God is doing throughout all of the churches around the world uh, through Foursquare, including, of course, this church and what God is doing. Uh, we also got to see what God is doing uh, in the next generation and some plans that are coming up. By the way, if you didn't know, uh, we are a part of the Pacific Southwest District, which includes California, Utah, Arizona, uh, Nevada, and of course, Hawaii. So we're a part of a bigger district as well as a denomination. And we have the awesome privilege of having the next gen director, Bunny Correa, at our church. So she oversees the district uh, area. So, Bunny, thank you so much. She was there. Can you just stand up, Bunny, real quick? Just real, come on, Bunny. Just in case people don't know who you are, this is Bunny Correa, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna kill me later. But uh, Bunny has been a part of our next gen, which means that she is able to uh, have a voice in our denomination to raise up the younger generation because this world needs our young people to rise up, and they can. They can. They just have to be given the opportunity. So, all the young ones out there, the teenagers and below, uh, God sees potential in you, and he sees greatness in you. So don't think your environment or your upbringing dictates who you become. Only God can do that, and he sees greatness in every single youth and child here and beyond. But that's what we got to do. Uh, Heidi and I were there till about June 1st or 2nd, and then we flew down to Oregon where my son Jordan graduated from the Art Institute in Portland. So we got to, again, be with him for that. So that was a good... It's a good six years. It was supposed to be four. But it's, it turned into six. So he has a doctorate in taking pictures. No, not a doctorate. It's a bachelor's degree. But he was there for a while. Uh, so we're, we're just thankful for this church because of your support. Uh, Heidi and I can not just uh, be a part of what God is doing here. But for my family and uh, who God is making us to be. We're so thankful. Thankful to this church. Uh, thank, thankful for the staff. The staff team does such an unbelievable job and it's amazing that when you're gone and away you appreciate because when I'm here it's so difficult because I'm in the midst of it to see how hard these guys work and they work hard their families sacrifice it their family makes sacrifices their children make sacrifices their spouses make sacrifices and they make sacrifices and so for on behalf of Heidi and I we just want to say to the entire staff team and the volunteers Thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn, and on all of you who serve. All of you on camera, I think, is that, is that Di and I can't see. Oh, that's Karen. So thank you, and, and Johnson on sound. I think Divine is upstairs. I don't know who's back there. Was it Jay back? No, Jay's over here. So that must be Erica on slides. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just so thankful to everybody. Uh, thank you for serving. Gil. I know you serve. You drive vans all the time for every single ministry. And uh, all that you do, Jonathan, you're back there, Pastor Ward. I feel like, like the Emmys. You just want to thank everybody. But I do. I am so thankful, thankful to be home. And we have a message to preach tonight, Pastor Marsha. So I'm going to pray over our tithes and offerings, and then we'll, we'll do so. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. We cannot do what we do in reaching people if not for your spirit. We get caught up in our own selves and in the things that are happening in our own lives. But with you, Lord, as we sang tonight, all things are possible. And so we pray over the tithes and offerings that we give to you. That we've already been seeing you doing great things with it. Especially with what's happening on our island. And those who have been displaced and those who need a meal. We've been preparing. We've been feeding. But most of all, Lord, we've been shining your love so that people would see how good of a God you are. So bless the offering and the giving. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together, amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Marsha, for speaking.
1: Thank you. Let's go. And welcome home. Thank you. you. Well, welcome. So a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I got to go to Kauai. And we were actually there for my um, cousin's wedding. And um, it turned out that while we were there, Also, his nephew went over for his graduation. And so it was kind of like a really neat time to get together with family and friends. It was the first time that um, I'd seen some of my cousins in forever. And the first time I met a lot of their kids, because I grew up in the mainland. And for Tom's sister, it was the first time that she actually had her three sons and her brother all in the same room at the same time. So we got to visit, we got to celebrate. And then when we came back, we weren't done with that because we have these grandkids, and I thought it would be really wise to get an above-ground pool and put it up in the backyard, and so I have had no time at home alone, quietly. They're all over all the time. In fact, my granddaughter is turning eight this Sunday. Well, actually, she turned eight today. We're having the birthday party at our house because she said, let's have it where the pool is. But isn't it true that when it comes to celebrations, we want to celebrate. Whether it's a graduation, like Pastor Sheldon and Heidi were at, whether it's a birthday, whether it's a wedding, whether it's baby's first tooth, if it calls for a celebration, we want to celebrate. And tonight we're continuing our series, Summer Celebration, and we're actually going to explore how we can celebrate God's presence. Now, I know you're going to say, what? We just worshiped. You don't need to tell me how to celebrate God's presence. We just did. And I am so grateful for our worship team, and I'm grateful for the worship that we had. But did you know that you don't need a worship service to celebrate the presence of God? We can celebrate it any time because God is always near. Well, a few weeks ago, a bunch of us went to Hawaiian Brain Freeze. And we walked in, and of course, Pastor Sheldon was there. And so, we're walking in, and I'm looking at the menu. And my husband says to me, "What are you going to have?" And I said, "Ah, I got to look at the menu." So I'm looking at the menu, and I decided I'm going to have—I think it's called the hurricane. So Pastor Sheldon and my husband were off talking over there. So I walked over to my husband, and I thought he wanted to know what I was going to have because he asked, right? Why are you going to ask? So I said, "I think I'm going to have the hurricane," and then. I really thought he was snarky. He may not have been. But he said, yeah, okay, you can tell her. So I'm like, dude, you ask me. Why you wanna ask if you don't wanna know? Because you know what, I know how to talk. I don't need the lady, I don't need you to tell her what I'm gonna have. But then it was only in my head. It didn't come out of my mouth because Pastor Sheldon was there. Now, isn't it true that when somebody of authority or somebody that that you want to impress is around, that you're on your best behavior? Like, you feel like, you know, I got to make points or whatever. And we want to impress and make good impressions. Well, God is always, always, always present. And the good news is that we don't have to act like I did at Brain Freeze. We don't have to impress him. We don't have to be on our best behavior. Instead, we get to celebrate and enjoy his presence. The Old Old Testament prophet Zephaniah said, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. Listen to this. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears And listen, he will rejoice over you with joyful singing. Now imagine that. God celebrates us. He delights over us, and he sings over us. And when I think of God celebrating me, I feel this sense of joy, this sense of wanting to join in the celebrating. I mean, when you see a celebration, Who doesn't want to join in? And this is so much bigger than a celebration because this is not just any celebration. This is the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of everything that we see and everything that we don't see celebrating us. Now, how can we not want to join in the celebration? Because celebration invites celebrating. You know, when I was growing up, my dad was in the Navy. And so his job required that every couple of years or so, his ship, or whatever ship he was on at the time, would deploy out for nine months. And he'd be leaving, and it was, we were sad. But we knew that at the end of that nine months, there'd be a celebration. So when he came home, we were going to get to celebrate his presence once again. Now, if you've ever been to the Navy Pier when a ship comes in, you know celebration because the entire families are down there. If you had school, you didn't go to school that day. Dad's coming home. Sometimes people made T-shirts. There were signs. There was balloons. There were banners. The Navy band was out there on the dock playing upbeat, patriotic music. And we'd all be standing there like this whole mass of people, and we'd watch the ship coming in, and it seemed like it was coming in so slowly. And the band would be playing, and the men would be standing on the bow, well, all over the ship, and they'd be standing at attention. But on the dock, there was chaos. Then the ship would come in, and they would wrap it and do whatever they gotta do, I don't know, whatever. And then finally, there was all this protocol, and then finally the men would come down the gangplank. And then the celebrations would start. Because people were looking for their sons, their fathers, they were looking for their dads, their husbands, and they'd find each other, and they'd be hugging, and they'd be kissing, and there'd be kids going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's how it should be when we know that God celebrates us, that he rejoices over us. That's what our celebration should look like. And I believe that if we do three things, that we set ourselves up to join in God's celebration and learn how to celebrate his presence. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Make room for celebrating. See, when my dad and the other men in that squadron returned from deployment, the Navy could have handled it a whole different way. They didn't have to let the families on the dock. They didn't need to provide a Navy band or the music. They could have just had the ship come in, they could have debriefed the men, and they could have sent them home. But they didn't do that. Instead, they anticipated joyful reunions. They expected the celebration of families as dads, husbands, and sons came home. And the Navy planned for and made room for celebration. I think one of the greatest examples of making room for celebration is the Jewish Passover feast. See, when Moses was going to finally lead the Israelites out of Egypt, one of the first things that God did was set in motion a celebration that the Israelites would celebrate every year from that night on. Now, if you don't know the story about the Israelites in exiting Egypt, you can find it in the second book of the Old Testament, Exodus. But I'm going to give you a quick overview tonight. So, back in Genesis, Jacob is renamed Israel by God. And he had 12 sons. Now, Joseph, his second to the youngest son, was his favorite. And we all know that doesn't sit well with siblings. So, through jealousy and some manipulation on the brother's part, Joseph ends up in Egypt. And though his brothers meant to harm him, God had other plans, and he used it for good. And Joseph became the second command in all of Egypt. Now there's a famine in the land, and so his brothers come to Egypt. They get reunited with Joseph. And because of the famine, Pharaoh and Joseph invite Israel and all his sons and the family to come down to egypt to live to get away from the famine now when they went into egypt there were 70 of them that story is amazing you find it in genesis now years and years and years after joseph dies the israelites had grown from 70 they had grown to be such a large people group that the egyptians had become afraid of the israelites And they were afraid that the Israelites would turn on them and defeat them in their own land. So the Bible says that a Pharaoh rose up who knew nothing about Joseph and nothing about what he had done for his nation. And so it's at this point that God speaks to Moses and calls him to go to Pharaoh and to say, Let my people go. But Pharaoh was, ref- was stubborn, and he actually refused. And there were 10 different plagues that fell on Egypt because of Pharaoh's refusal. There was water that turned into blood, frogs that covered the land, I'd have been done there, lice, flies everywhere, diseased livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and then darkness that you couldn't even see in the front of your hand. And in every one of those, the Pharaoh would say, okay, you can go, and oh, no, never mind. But God knew that the final plague, the death of the firstborn, that Pharaoh would finally relent. And at last, his people would be released from slavery, and they would leave Egypt. And at Moses' final meeting with Pharaoh, Pharaoh actually said to Moses, get out of my sight make sure you do not appear before me again because the day you see my face you will die just as you say moses said i will never appear to you again and then he explains to pharaoh what's going to happen he lets him know what the tenth plague is and then he leaves his sight and then god steps in meets with moses and aaron and he tells them this is how you're going to spend your last night in captivity And besides packing to leave, God says, you're going to have this meal. But this isn't just any meal. And then God gives them some very precise instructions on how to slaughter the lamb. And they were to take the lamb's blood and they are supposed to put it on the lamppost because when the angel came for the firstborn, he would pass over those houses, and that's why it's called Passover. They were supposed to dress a certain way. They had to eat it in haste. God gave... With specific instructions and then he said this this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord a lasting ordinance see in the midst of bringing judgment on Egypt for their hardness of heart and their rebellion and while preparing the Israelites for their journey ahead God made room for celebration And the celebration would not be for only that night. They were to commemorate and remember this night that God passed over their homes and set them free as an ongoing and lasting celebration. And to this day, Jewish families all over this world celebrate the Passover. Now, I actually think that God loves to party because not only did He give them the Passover, But as you read through the Bible, God gave them seven other celebrations. Seven other celebrations. It says here in Leviticus, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. God calls his people to be a people of celebration to draw near to him, and to recognize his presence. Now, when I'm reading that, you know what I found interesting? That while God was giving Moses these instructions on these seven celebrations, do you know that they were still traveling in the desert? That God's presence was still with them? They were still being led by a fire at night and a cloud by day. And God gives them instructions to remember and recognize his presence. The Bible says here that by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So God's presence was always with them. And not only did they have the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, but they had the tabernacle that they carried with them. And the tabernacle was representative of the presence of God. In fact, when they built the tabernacle and set it up, a cloud rested on it, and they knew that the presence of God was there. In Exodus it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, Because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of the Israelites, during all their travels. God's presence... Was an everyday occurrence in their lives. Yet God still gave them the feast days as a reminder to not take his presence for granted, to always make room to both recognize and celebrate his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually need that reminder. I can't allow myself to take the presence of God for granted in my life. God's presence while consistent, is never routine. It is not a routine. And we need to guard against taking it for granted and making it routine. I need to make sure that I'm constantly making room for His presence and to be sure that I am consistently recognizing it. Now, the best part of all this is we don't have to wait for a feast day. We can celebrate his presence in something as simple as gathering with others. Jesus put it this way. He said, whenever two or three of you come together in my name, I am there with you. The minute we gather with other people, we can celebrate his presence. He's right there in our midst. The Apostle Paul would encourage the church in Corinth. And he encourages us that not only is God in our midst, but that we ourselves are his temple. Paul wrote, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, we don't need a festival to celebrate God's presence. What we need to do is guard against taking it for granted. And then we can also And you write this down. Recognize and respond to his presence in others. Recognize and respond to his presence in others. When my son was younger, my husband took him to the Pro Bowl. Now, Josh has always been a 49ers fan. Still is to this day. And when he went to the Pro Bowl, he was determined to get two autographs. Steve Young and Jerry Rice. Determined. Didn't do it. But they were walking into a sporting goods store in Waipahu one day, and out came Dana Stubblefield, who was also a 49er, and on the Pro Bowl. And my son immediately recognized him and he immediately responded to his presence with, ah, oh, ah, oh, you, you play football. Because Dana Stubblefield didn't know he played football but you know what, I want to be like that. Maybe I want to communicate better, but I want to be quick to recognize the presence of God in someone. And I want to be quick to recognize it and respond. There's a well-known story in the Bible that Jesus told his followers. It's about a son who rejected his father. He rejected his father's hopes and dreams for him, and he rejected his father's values. Now, we know the story as the prodigal son. And when Jesus started the story, he said to the people, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger son demanded his half of the inheritance from his father. Now, when the Jewish listener heard that, they were hearing the ultimate insult. They heard the harshest rejection. By asking for his inheritance early, the son basically told his father, You're living way too long. I have plans for my future that have nothing to do with the family business, and I want my money now, and I don't wanna wait for you to die to get it. I want it now. And to add insult to injury, the younger son then took everything that his father had given him. He left to live far away, and the older son and the father were left to take care of the family business. But the younger son wasted all his money and he had nothing left in the, for his future. And to make matters worse, there was a famine in the land and the young man ended up with the worst job possible. And he realized how bad he was and he decided that the only thing left to do was return home. So I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 15. And it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many... Of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robes and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive, He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. You know, I don't know how many times I've read that story. I don't think I've ever read it from this son's perspective. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for him to return home to his dad? What he felt when he was returning to the man that he insulted? to the man whose values he had rejected, to the man he embarrassed in front of all his peers, to the man that he basically, basically said, I wish you were dead to. I wonder what it must have been like for him as he drew closer to his town, to his home, only to find his dad running to him and celebrating. And instead of begging for forgiveness, The younger son gets swept up into the celebration and he must have realized that even after hurting his father deeply, even after moving so far away, and even after denying the morals and the values that he grew up with, that his father didn't see his sin. (laughs) And I wonder how healing his father's celebration must have been for him. In his book, Everybody Always, Bob Goff shares an account of a young boy named Charlie. Now when Charlie was eight, he was kidnapped by a witch doctor in Uganda. He was mutilated because the witch doctor needed some body parts for an incantation and Charlie was left to die. But he was discovered near death and rescued. And because Bob Goff was a lawyer and he's involved in Uganda, He was able to bring the case before a chart, before a judge in Uganda. Now, in that area, there had never been a trial for a witch doctor because the um, victims usually didn't live. The police wouldn't investigate the cases because they were afraid. And if the police did investigate it, the judges wouldn't try them because they were afraid. But Bob Goff is a Christian and he knows where the power really is. And he wasn't afraid. And so he convinced the judge to take this case to trial. And so this witch doctor, whose name is Kabi, was finally brought to trial. Now in the course of time, Bob became really close to Charlie, the little boy who'd been left to dead. And he worked with several people to bring restoration to him. And at the same time, Bob was able to work within the judicial system in Uganda, and Kabi was the first witch doctor to receive a life sentence for his crime. And I'm sure that Bob thought that when he was put away that this chapter was done. But God usually has a different plan. And Bob writes about it in his book, and he says this. Well, I gotta wear glasses for this one. He says, the minute he attacked Charlie, Cobby became my enemy. He wasn't a little evil, he was pure evil. And it's easy to talk a good game about loving your enemies until you have one. And I realized if I wanted big things to happen in my life, I needed to take bigger steps and risk more than I had before. So I decided to visit Kabi in prison. Kabi entered the dark room where I was sitting. He had no shoes. And he was wearing a torn and dirty prison uniform. And when he entered, He took a knee, and he told me how bad he felt about what he had done to Charlie. Skeptical, I thought he was just sorry because we had caught and punished him. And he told me what it was like growing up the son of a witch doctor and what witchcraft had done to him over the course of his life. And then he said something that stunned me. He said, I know I'm going to die here. What I really need is forgiveness. His words hung in the air forgiveness for a witch doctor who tried to sacrifice Charlie my immediate reaction was absolutely not he tried to kill the little boy I love but something inside of me had started to change I didn't see a killer in front of me I felt like I was looking at a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus and I thought of the words Jesus spoke to that criminal Today, you will be with me in paradise. And there wasn't a quiz Jesus gave to the criminal to get in. He didn't ask the guy about his positions on a host of social issues. He didn't ask him to change his behaviors or say a prayer first. He just said, you're in. And standing in a dark room next to death row is a long way from paradise. Cobby and I talked for a while about his family and what was important to him. I talked about my family and what was most important to me. And we talked about what I was learning, but still didn't have figured out yet about love, grace, and forgiveness in Jesus. And then something happened that will forever shape my understanding about the things Jesus talked about. Cobby said he wanted to put his faith and life in the strong and kind arms of Jesus. See, I'm sure that Bob felt that there is no way that Kabi would ever be able to receive Jesus. His sin was too great and the damage too severe. Yet Bob, like the father of the prodigal son, needed to look past the sin and look for even just a hope of the presence of Jesus. And by doing so, Bob witnessed a miracle as God's presence came alive in someone who was lost. Now, in an earlier chapter, Bob talked about how difficult it is for him to obey Jesus in the hard areas. We all recognize that, right? It's easy on the easy things, but when it's hard, it's like, oh. And he wrote that his obedience is accomplished 30 seconds at a time. When he meets someone who's difficult to get along with, someone that it's difficult to see the presence of Jesus in, he simply asks himself, can I love this person for 30 seconds? And then he starts counting. 30, 29, 28, 27. And the whole time, he's looking for good. He's looking for hope. He's looking for the presence of Jesus. And if he gets down to five, He starts over, 30, 29, 28. See, I think I can do that. I think that's something that all of us can do. I can pause, and I can look for the presence of Jesus in someone 30 seconds at a time. And while we're counting backwards, we can ask God, please shift my view. Help me to stop seeing what I think this person is doing so wrong Help me to see your presence in this person. Help me to celebrate your presence. Peter reminds us that this is a process. We're not there yet. We will be someday, but we're definitely not there yet now. And he wrote, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. See, we're all in this process becoming who God designed us to be. And while it's important that we recognize and respond to the presence of God in others, we also need to realize that everywhere we go, and you can write this down for your third note, we bring His presence with us. I love kids, I really do love kids. <clears throat> My younger grandkids consistently want to be with me. There has never been a Sunday, I don't think, that I've left this church without a grandchild following behind and inviting themselves to my house. And then I thought it would be wise to expand that. So we have Jadina who, vol- who works in our office. And if you ever call, that's who you need to talk to. And her daughter comes around every now and then. She's almost two. And I just cast that charm on Raisha. And so she comes into my office, and she hangs out. I give her snacks, I bring my iPad, she watches a video. And when her mom comes to get her, she's like, nope. Nope, not happening. And Judina's like, I don't know why she's like that. I'm like, well, I, I, I know exactly why. And anybody who's a grandmother can tell you exactly why. We put off this odor. Grandmas have a smell. Babies can smell them. And they want to, it's like, come to me. It's like chocolate chip cookies or something. I have no idea. When I was in Kauai, I met my cousin's baby for the very first time, 18 months old. No, 18 months old, they don't like anybody. But I was talking to my cousin, and her daughter just leaned into my arms, and she goes, I don't know what it is. Why? She likes you. I have that grandma smell. Babies just like, they're just drawn to it. I wonder how wonderful it would be If that's how people responded to the presence of God in us, if they just were just so drawn to it, like, I don't want to leave. I want to be around you. I want to be around this person. There's something that's different. See, that's how God planned it to be from the very beginning. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, and he told them, hey, I'm going to let you in on a secret. God has a plan to make himself known everybody. And here's the secret. You're it. He says, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. We're it. God is working in and through us to make his presence known. Christ lives in us. And that alone should fill us with boldness and confidence. Now Paul also wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And he said that God uses us to diffuse his aroma. Imagine that. We diffuse his aroma. He wrote, Now thanks be to God, Who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. See, wherever we go, because Christ lives in us, we bring his presence, we bring his authority, we bring his power, we bring his wisdom we bring his peace. Christ in you. Christ in me. That's the hope that this world has. You can close your Bibles, put away your notes. And I just want to close with this final thought. When King David's son Solomon finished building the temple, he had built a separate house for his wife, the Pharaoh's daughter, to live in. And he did that because the ark which of the Israelites represented the presence of God had been in the house of his father. And Solomon felt that anywhere God's presence had been was holy. So when he built the house, he said, "My wife shall not dwell in the house of King David, in the house of David, King of Israel, because the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy." Solomon felt so strongly about the holiness of the presence of the Lord that he treated any place that it had been as holy. So what does that mean for us? Why don't you take a moment and look behind you. Look at the people behind you. Look at the person in front of you. Look at the person to either side of you. Each person here is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in our midst. And I believe that we will bring God the most honor and we will celebrate his presence in the most honoring way if we'll be like Solomon. And if we leave here determined that any place that the presence of God is, is holy, and that that means that because the presence of God dwells and every person here that I need to treat that person with respect and I need to treat that person with honor and if we become a people that do that then I believe that we will be a person who celebrates his presence in the most honoring way so let's make room let's celebrate God's presence by respecting his presence the people that are in this room and anybody that we encounter amen let's bow our heads and let's pray lord jesus thank you so much i am so grateful for your presence that is not just within me but within my brothers and my sisters that are sitting here and i pray that we leave here tonight changed that we would celebrate your presence and a celebration of that presence would look like honoring and loving others. And that we would be different. People would be drawn to us because of your presence that's in us and because of the presence that we respect. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen.